Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 1987 film Fatal Attraction, directed by Adrian Lin from a screenplay written by James Dearden based on his 1980 short film Diversion, starring Michael Douglas, Glenn Close, and Ann Archer. To get us started, here is a synopsis. A married man's one-night stand comes back to haunt him when that lover begins to stalk him and his family. Trigger warnings for this episode are self-harm, violence, a homophobic slur, animal harm, and child abduction. And with us today is Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, Laura. You may remember Casey from our Rebecca episode. She is back with us again, and it's just the two of us today, but Lacey will be joining us for the next episode. So I guess we will start with our usual question. How did you hear about this movie? Well, the first time I ever heard about this movie was, it was probably around the mid to late 90s that that I at least heard of it, probably an adult you know, my parents were probably talking about it in passing. And I was also, you know, really interested in movies. But the first time I ever even saw a clip of it was Bridget Jones's Diary. Because Bridget Jones is constantly in fear that she'll end up like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction. <laughs> that just, like, made me laugh so much. Especially when you know what Bridget Jones is and her kind of character. It's just like, she's like the furthest away from what Glenn Close is. I love that movie. I don't remember anything about Fatal Attraction, so I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. Mm -hmm. Oh, poor me. Yeah, so uh, that's primarily the f how I heard about it the first time, was through a romantic comedy. That's really funny, because it's about as far away from what this movie is. Oh, it is neither romantic nor comedic. So yeah, this was one of those movies that I had heard about, but I'd never seen it. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was watching Sleepless in Seattle, and there was a line that Tom Hanks has that, of course I'm scared of women. I saw Fatal Attraction. Every man in America is scared of women. And it's like, uh, you know, there's one movie about a psycho lady stalker, and... How many times in real life do men go off the deep end and do this? But okay, whatever. And then there was the whole Gone Girl thing where it happened again. And I had so many dudes were like, oh, I'm so scared of women. I'm so scared to get married now. And it's like, uh, welcome to every day. Yeah, it's so funny that this movie keeps getting brought up during romantic comedies. Oh, that's true, because that's another romantic comedy yes. that's mentioned. <laughs> I'm sure they never would have guessed that legacy when they were making this movie. I don't think so, uh, because it is very much about um, someone who is, you know, apart from the, you know, darkness of that character, it's about someone who is very much scared of being alone and being single forever and never having a baby and never having those traditional values, which at the basis of all romantic comedies, that that's a lot of women. <laughs> women characters in those movies <laughs> yeah it, women characters in almost all movies but yeah especially yeah. romantic comedies it's oh i don't have a partner oh i'm never going to have this thing that everybody says that i should have i should be able to have everything and i know one of the big criticisms of this movie was that 
people were saying it was the career woman versus motherhood. You know, the career woman went crazy and ended up trying to tear apart the family, whereas the good mother who stayed at home and didn't work and took care of her family was the one who triumphed in the end. Which is also anti-feminist. Right, but apparently wasn't what they were going for. Yeah. There's a lot of really good special features on the DVD or Blu-ray. If you have that, I recommend checking them out, but I'll be talking about some of them because I watched them all last night. But yeah, nobody, well, at least not the women who made this movie, that was not what they went in to try to convey. That was either some message that people pulled out of it afterwards Mm -hmm. Or it was something that was subtly done by, like, a screenwriter or something that I guess didn't get picked up on when they were filming. Because, yeah, I mean, Glenn Close is definitely not that kind of a woman. Mm-mm. And all of them, there was a female producer on the movie, <laughs> Glenn Close and Archer. That was Barky. He is our third guest for today. You may be hearing from him a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> but all three of them talked in this interview about how that wasn't their intention at all and that people of all walks of life go through things and go crazy so this story just happened to be about a career woman yeah yeah I don't know. also you the other thing is that with glenn close's character it it's not just about a career woman versus a homemaker because it, Glenn Close wants to get pregnant and she wants a family. It's something that this other woman already has. And also, we don't know the life of Michael Douglas's wife in the movie before all of this happens. And we don't know much about um, Glenn Close's character, Alex, either. Yeah. She drops some things like she had a miscarriage the year before and she didn't think she could get pregnant. We don't know anything else about that. Nope. One thing that Glenn Close said that when she got the part she immediately took the script to two different psychologists to find out first was this behavior that could actually happen from somebody okay so the questions she asked both of the psychologists that she went to see or psychiatrists was is this behavior possible and if so why so they gave her reasons why somebody may act like there is a scene where Michael Douglas's character Dan is giving his daughter Ellen a rabbit. Alex is watching this from outside the house and she starts throwing up. The psychiatrist told her that he would see behavior like that from somebody who had been sexually abused as a child. And we find out through the story that her father died when she was seven. So it's probably not something that the character would remember, but was there and would influence, you know, what happened to her the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of work that Glenn Close put into this to make it more than just a surface, oh, I'm a crazy woman character, which is how these types of movies are definitely portrayed now we were just talking about that yeah like the guy breaks up with his girlfriend and they have a one night stand and then all of a sudden this crazy girl starts stalking him or Mm -hmm. i watched swim fan i don't know if you've ever seen that one i have heard of swim fan and it looked horrible It's, it's it's pretty bad they're in high school and he has a one night stand with this girl while he's still with his girlfriend and she just starts stalking him mm-hmm. because of that. She's known him for like a week. And then you find out that she 
actually did this to another guy and he's in a coma for the rest of his life because of it and so like no real motivation behind yeah. it other than just oh crazy lady oh uh because we were talking about um it's so unfair to call them horrible movies but that's just what the end end product ends up being but it made it reminded me of the podcast how did this get made and they were talking about the boy next door with jennifer lopez the one where he gives her the first edition of the uh, like the Iliad or the Odyssey yeah something like that and as someone who worked with rare books when I first heard that I'm like what the hell is happening yeah yeah that was one of those things that totally off topic of course but when they this started going around on the internet I was like oh well what what about it you know old book and then I was like wait what what was the title um they didn't have bound books when that was written. <laughs> if he's giving her a first edition, then wow, he's got a lot of explaining to do. Uh, where did he get that money? Yeah. D- does that even exist? Like <laughs> the scroll or whatever of the Iliad? <laughs> he should own the world. Yeah. He should, like, be, like, he should own everything that we live and breathe. Yeah, don't, don't, you don't need to be stalking Jennifer Lopez. You've got, you can have anything you, you want. You can fuck anybody. Yeah. Oh, but I'm sorry, back to how did this get made? Yeah. Uh, but they do cover movies like this. And, you know, it's not just a one and done deal with Fatal Attraction. It seems to have influenced a lot of things that came after. But it's, what's interesting is that it's not necessarily a philandering husband anymore because uh i just uh flipped through an article that was kind of about whether or not fatal attraction could get done now and i'm like well it's been done over and over again but then they mentioned like specifically how in 1987 you sympathized with michael douglas and his character and nowadays we're looking at michael douglas and we're going what the fuck are you doing oh yeah what the fuck are you doing you're married in the interviews on the special features they had a couple of psychiatrists on there and like human behavior study people wow i'm eloquent today talking about the movie in addition to the actors and the director and the producers and they were all talking about who they saw as the real victim in the movie one person said that it was the wife and the daughter because they literally did nothing yeah like they were completely innocent one person said that it was everybody everybody was the victim of circumstance glenn close said everyone all of the characters were victims the director said that was just life that was just something that happened honestly i kind of feel like like michael douglas's character dan he reaping some of the consequences of his choices mm-hmm as was Alex. I mean, granted, she wasn't completely sound of mind. Yeah. Whereas he seemed the more stable of the two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, his wife and his daughter, they didn't have anything to do with it. So they just, they were victims of his infidelity. Yes. Even if it didn't go to the extraordinary circumstances that happened in this movie, Beth and her daughter did, like, nothing to deserve what Michael Douglas did. What's funny is that I remember her character's name, but not Michael Douglas's character. <laughs> this is kind of off topic, but Fatal Attraction is one of those movies where you remember the actor's name before you remember the character's name. The same could be said with contemporary classic that is National Treasure, <laughs> because 
I don't know what Nicolas Cage's character's name is, but I do know he wants to steal the Declaration of Independence. Yes. But going back to it, even if it didn't reach the extraordinary circumstance, again, the extraordinary circumstances in the movie where Glenn Close became a stalker and abducted their child and all those things take those out eventually that that infidelity would have come out in the end because you can't keep that a secret forever and it would have deeply affected that family who's to say because it seemed really easy for him who's to say he doesn't do it again with a bunch of other ladies who's to say he hasn't done it before Mm because he never even says something like Oh, I've never done this before. He did not bat an eye about spending the whole weekend with her. Other than he had some work to do, but none of it was like, oh, I shouldn't do this to my wife. The thing in marriage that you kind of make a promise to each other to be open and you communicate what you need. And, you know, if he's not getting sex, she's not either. I don't think it's as bad. Well, maybe in some areas this idea that oh women don't want sex or they don't need it like men do you know I, I think there are still a lot of guys who believe that but I think it's getting better where people understand that that's not really the case yeah and we're also starting to understand sexuality a little bit more as we come to really learn more about sexual identity and sexuality and how we experience sexual attraction and gender and all those things and it was very much black and white back in the day oh yeah so i let's let's go ahead and get into it because we had a lot of oh yeah hey hey. Um, get into it so we open on i couldn't tell if it was the sunrise or the sunset but the sky is you know these oranges and stuff and the buildings are all silhouetted and There's the sounds of the city. The whole family, Dan, Beth, and Ellen, are all dressed in white. There's a lot of white in this movie. There is so much white. Uh, When you were watching the special features, did they talk about that at all? All that the costume designer said was that it was her job to help the director realize his vision and that he wanted them to look like everyday people like it could be just anybody and that was one of the reasons why they wanted michael douglas for the part was because he was an everyman so you see i like i like that idea a lot uh kind of straying away from the white thing for a little bit because we don't get movies like that anymore right everybody looks beautiful all the time no matter what they're doing yes or if they're 12 or 80 or what and I've been listening, I've been on a Stranger Things kick recently because I want to figure out how that formula works. But uh, the actor David Harper was talking about how people like it because everyone looks normal and they don't look, you know, they're beautiful. They're beautiful people, like on the inside and out, but they're not, you know, Pygmalion sculpting Galatea and like a creation of the gods, you know, in the way that the Hemsworth brothers are. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, they're normal, everyday people. And I think that speaks a lot to the 80s in that they were, for the most part, they were casting people who looked like they could exist in our everyday, where they were still glamorous, but they didn't look like pieces of art and super photoshopped. One of my, the clearest examples that I see of that is Broadchurch, the BBC series. Yes. And then if you compare it to Grace 
Point. Grace Point. Yes. Grace Point. Thank you. They look the Broad Church. They look like people. They look like real people in a village. Parents, kids. You watch the American remake, and even the teenage daughter looks absolutely gorgeous all the time. She doesn't look like a teenager. Yeah. And the parents, the one mom. Uh, she's a detective and she's her shirt's always unbuttoned just the right amount but it never moves so she's not like actually flashing any cleavage yeah. or and don't get me wrong i love her i think she's a fantastic i actress. love her in breaking bad so much because she looked normal in breaking bad yes breaking bad was one where a lot of people looked like real people yes yeah i definitely miss that i would like to see movies where people look like actual people yes uh, you know, you know, we're both actresses and writers on the side, and you know that's something that I definitely strive to do in my everyday life. Even though you know, I I put on my makeup when I want to, but I I I don't have like a sloped nose. I don't have tiny boobies. I don't. I have large hips. Give me something. Anyway, going back to the white and how it relates to the normal people thing. No normal person is in that amount of white, especially when they have children. Yeah, it's just, it's really weird. They're getting ready to go to a party. He's in a white undershirt and white shorts or boxers and the, the little girl, which I love this child. She was so good. She's so good, is in this huge oversized white shirt and the mom is in like a white cami and underwear. and Not a stain on that child. Oh, yeah. Everybody is perfectly clean. And yeah, they're getting ready to go. Oh, I loved it because Ellen, the daughter, is sitting on the couch with their dog, Quincy, and she's watching Nickelodeon, and they're talking about the slime that they make. And uh, it was just such a throwback because I was like, oh, Nickelodeon slime. As the mom's getting ready, she drops something, and she goes, shit, shit, shit. And then Ellen is walking down the hall to let the babysitter in going, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> Shit, shit, shit. And it was just, it was just so natural. It was just like, oh, kids do that. You can't say anything. There's this great conversation where Dan, Michael Douglas's character, is on the phone with one of Beth's friends. And he's asking, well, what are you going to wear? And then Beth is saying, well, I'm going to wear this. And he's like the in-between for them having this conversation about what they're going to wear to this party. And then they get to the party, and it is a sushi party for this new self-help book called The Samurai Way. Oh, Jesus. At this party is where everything kicks off. I don't remember what Dan's friend's name is. No one cares about Dan's friend. No, not really. Um, (laughs) He's a a dickhead. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. He makes eye contact with this very glamorous woman. She gives him this if looks could kill look. She is who we later come to find out as Alex Forrest. It's funny how you said if looks could kill because first of all (laughs) later um but also but i kind of read it as like major eye fucking well and that's what he says he says she was undressing me with her eyes and michael douglas's character says oh if looks could kill you'd be dead we find out that she wasn't interested in this guy i i thought she was looking at uh michael douglas because they were standing right next to each other oh maybe and he just thought that she was of course the of, of course, course Dan's friend did. Uh, Jesus, Dan's friend. Ugh. Get better friends. 
I could also never figure out if he was married to this one girl or not, but I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It just was kind of one of those weird plot things where I was like, wait, what? Just side characters. They had the budget for like, you know, that supporting character that's just like, you should talk to this person. You should mean, but there's always that character who is like instigating, oh, she obviously wants me. And that's a signal to the audience that, oh, this is the female star that we should be paying attention to because she's going to become a love interest. Michael Douglas's character, I'm just going to call him Dan. He goes up to the bar to get some champagne. Alex is there. He makes some kind of comment about how he didn't want to be on the receiving end of the look that she gave. And she's like, I'm just tired of guys always thinking they can come on to me like that. They immediately kind of start flirting right there which Mm -hmm. I mean I'm not saying flirting with somebody is bad but you just get the feeling from him he's there with his wife she even I think asks about his wife it's just not an interaction of like yeah it's you know some people are naturally flirty and it doesn't mean anything but the way Dan was talking to Alex like it was very obvious that he you know probably one wanted something a little more to, more out of that flirtation like some sort of validation or her number or to see her again because she does find out that he has a wife in that interaction and that doesn't stop anything that happens from here on out oh also i wanted to point out something that they were talking about in the interviews is when they first get to the party they meet this guy and he has a neck brace on and beth asks what happened to him And Dan says that he was sleeping with his wife. Something happened and that they had to carry her out on a stretcher. And then, of course, he has the affair and it all goes bad. So they were like, obviously, the message of this movie is that sex is dangerous. Which I was (sighs) like, that seems like a weird message, but okay. That's like a really bad joke. Yeah. It's not a well thought out joke. I'm really disappointed. <laughs> That's just disappointing. They could have tried harder. <laughs> yeah, mo- most of the people um, talking about this movie, because this movie got nominated for six Academy Awards. I know! It didn't win any of them. Obviously. <laughs> and Glenn Close, sadly, still does not have an Oscar. I know. Even though she really deserves one. Yeah. Who did she lose against that year? Because the movie came out in 87, right? 87. But yeah, you would figure of everything that she could have won for, I would say that this part and also uh, her role uh, when she was in Dangerous Liaisons, those two. I haven't seen that one. I really want to see The Wife, which is what she was nominated for this year. Yeah. Okay, so best picture they lost to The Last Emperor. Um, Michael Douglas ended up winning an Oscar, but for Wall Street, which, I'm sorry, that was... Yeah, that did not look like a good movie. That was Oliver Stone, right? I think that may have been Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone makes really boring movies, in my opinion. Or at least movies that aren't for me, I guess. Ah, share one for Moonstruck. That's why. I mean, it makes sense. Best director went for The Last Emperor. Best screenplay, The Last Emperor. So that that was the big sweep that beat them out of anything that year. I've never seen The Last Emperor. Me either. But lots of people have seen Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Uh Uh-huh. You know, so the Oscar doesn't necessarily mean your, um, like, 
you could be like critically acclaimed and stuff, but that doesn't mean it has the same like longevity or cultural impact as another movie might. Right. Well, and Glenn Close is named um, in I think the top ten villains of all time mm-hmm. for this. And the funny thing is, they didn't want her for the part because she had played like the mom parts and really wholesome straight laced parts up until this time she said she read the script and she got chills when she finished it and she knew that she wanted to play this part when her agent contacted them they said please don't send her because we don't want to have to tell her that she can't have the part but when she came in she was wearing a black fitted dress and she um she said she was always really bad at doing her hair so she just kind of let it go wild And actually, this is another special feature on the DVD is it may even be the audition. And it's it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like she was amazing right off the bat. And they they could tell that she'd already made a bunch of choices for the character. They loved it. So something else we're going to be talking about occasionally during this episode, or at least I am, since we're talking about hair, I have to talk about some of the fashion choices and style choices that occur during this movie, because her hair during that party is so upsetting. It's not good. It's not good. And she is a beautiful woman. And you could tell that her hair was like so natural during the most of the movie. And then like during this, you could tell that they hairsprayed the shit out of her bangs to just kind of like be part of the longer parts of her hair and it exposed her forehead in a very unflattering manner yeah and i'm so mad (laughs) we do leave the party ellen and beth are going out to the country to visit her parents and to look at a house because they're they're wanting to buy a house outside of the city dan stays because he has a meeting and guess who's at this meeting? Alec. She's also wearing white at this meeting. And the meeting, oh, this was this was another one of their examples about how sex is dangerous. Because in the meeting, they're talking about this book, and there's a suit against the book because this senator thinks a character is based on him. Well, the writer of the book had an affair with this senator, but then apparently she had affairs with several senators, so it could be like any. But that's what this meeting is about, and they're talking about this. And then him and Alex go out to lunch. And this is when they take their flirtation to a whole new level. And Alex is a lawyer, right? No, Dan is a lawyer. Lawyer. Alex uh, works for the publishing company. Got it. Uh, I think she's an editor. Oh, yeah. But that's really about all we ever see about her job from this point forward. We know that she has one. I'm actually kind of surprised that she keeps it with a lot of the stuff that's going on. I know! But yeah, we never see her at work. We never hear her talk about work or anything from this point on. It just kind of makes you realize how reluctant companies are to fire people because they don't want to pay severance or pay out on insurance or anything like that. So they're just like well, we're just keeping this person who's really bad at their job. (laughs) (laughs) And at this point, she says she'd only been with the company a few weeks. She was still on, would have been like on a probationary period, I would think. Like she definitely would have lost her job if she was spending all her time stalking people, right? One would think, especially during the 80s, they weren't real big on like, make your own hours. They were all really high on cocaine, though. That's true, so maybe nobody even knew if she was there or not. Oh yeah, so they're having lunch, or or dinner, and he asks her why she doesn't have a date. And she said that she did, that she stood him up, 
that she, that was a phone call that I guess she had slipped away to make. Asks him if that makes him feel good, and he's like, well, it doesn't make me feel bad. Then they start talking about, oh, can you be discreet? Well, I'm discreet. They decide that they're going to carry this on. He, he asks her if things are going to go any farther tonight, and she says, I haven't made up my mind yet. And he tells her, at least you're honest. I don't know, there's just... She throws these lines at him that are actually some kind of deep stuff. Not deep, but she's in control of the situation and he just kind of like bats him back. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting because the last time I was on the show, we were talking about Rebecca and Rebecca was revealed to be a very manipulative woman. And that's exactly what Alex is in this situation where she is uh, kind of playing the puppet master and she there's a term that's thrown around specifically with narcissistic I'm not a social worker just throwing that out this is just some of the few bits of research that I've done but there is like a thing in relationships called love bombing where people who are manipulative uh, capable of gaslighting and all these things will begin a relationship most romantic way possible and make it very clear that this is something they're open to and love to the point where you're just like they are just absolutely in love with me and I love them back but I don't know if I if I love them as much as they love me <laughs> they decide that they're gonna go back to her place and this is when they have the really weird awkward sex on the sink and and this is where I'm gonna drink my wine because I have thoughts about this hang on this is where you take your sip we are drinking a nice merlot we figured red wine to go along with fatal attraction yep the thing is is that I am uh, under the asexual umbrella I'm like right on the line of gray asexuality and demisexuality which basically means I don't really experience sexual attraction and in in some cases sex repulses me occasionally sometimes it's fine but for the most part when I see people kissing on the street I, I, I am like a child and they go ew gross so this is my nightmare scenario is watching Michael Douglas and Glenn Close fuck on a sink and she turns on the faucet and she's like drowning his face in water and then splashing water on her boob so that he can like lick it off of her and by the way I guess this should also be you know labeled as explicit this episode yes. because this is a nasty raunchy erotic thriller that has filled me with such discomfort it's really awkward. Sex is awkward, but it was just kind of made more awkward. Yes. And like his like his pants are still like wrapped around his ankles and then he almost kills both of them going from the sink to the bed because he doesn't think maybe I should take the pants off around my ankles. No, he's just shuffling along <laughs> carrying her to the bed. Apparently, that was a joke that he thought was really funny, so that's why he decided to do that. That is not a joke that is not safe. Because <laughs> that's one of the things he talked about in his interview was like, oh, I hadn't, wouldn't it be funny if I had my pants around my ankles and I'm trying to like get them off? And so yeah, because that was my thought. It was like, this is very dangerous. Y'all are going to get hurt. Which is probably not what you should have been thinking at that time. But This is how your dick gets broken. Yeah. Also, her apartment is all white. She has white sheets, 
There's a white ceiling, a white ceiling fan. It's just all white. I have to say, her apartment is very nice for someone who is only a book editor in New York. And it looks like she lives in a grungy part of town, but her place is immaculate. Are we sure that maybe she shouldn't have gone into interior design instead? Maybe she's in the wrong calling. I know. Maybe that would have lessened her psychopathic tendencies if she just pursued the thing that she really wanted to do. So after their little liaison, she said, are you feeling energetic? And they go dancing. I think it's like a Latin dancing, but it's very, very vigorous and everybody's sweating. And there's not as, not as much sweating in this as body heat, but there's still a lot of sweating. And she's spitting around and whipping her hair in his face. And I don't know, for some reason that just, I guess because I've had people hit me in the face with their hair before. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a nice thing. It's not sexy. No. And I also, I truly hate that word. It's like my moist... It's gross. Anyway, but yeah, don't don't throw your hair in my face. Don't throw your hair in my face. And so they get back and she goes, have you ever done it in an elevator? I doubt it. Proceeds to stop the elevator. And this is an elevator where it's like open. And so yes. when you're on the floor, people can see into it. And they're just like, he's ripping down her shirt. They're just going at it in this elevator it's just so much fucking you you just had sex earlier that evening you just went dancing and now you're fucking in an elevator you're in your like mid to late 30s where is this energy coming from are they snorting cocaine probably it was the 80s they should have shown that to explain just noses bleeding yeah Oh, and then the next thing, she has the key to her apartment, like, on top of an electrical box in the hallway. You live in New York City. This is dangerous. Don't do that. Not safe. <laughs> so, yeah, anybody can just go into her apartment at any time. And fuck in the elevator. That's true, yeah. They have a very free elevator. I'd love to see a cutscene where she's waiting for the elevator and she sees someone fucking as it's going up past her floor. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. So he has his walk of shame the next morning, early, early. The sun's just coming up and he's leaving her apartment, which, like you said, doesn't look like it's in a particularly good area. They did say they had three different locations for the exteriors, so... They were all in the same neighborhood as the actual apartment, but they had the elevator, the stairwell that he runs up later on, and then that street. And they were all in different areas from the actual apartment. They did a good job of piecing it all together. Yeah, they did. I wonder I wonder if anybody in New York has seen this movie and knows where those locations are. Like, the ch city has changed so much, but I wonder if anybody who is familiar with this movie and familiar with the locales of New York can be like, oh, this is here and this is there. Oh yeah, that would be really cool. I, I would be interested. I always enjoy going to see filming locations when I'm traveling somewhere. So I, know. I might make a trek and be like, there's the outside of the building in Fatal Attraction. This is the elevator where they fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets home and poor Quincy, the dog. I was this is probably one of the main reasons why I hate Dan. He just left his dog alone to go have 
naughty times with Glenn Close and Quincy is just like waiting to pee. He just wants to eat and pee and poop like a good boy. Yeah, I felt so bad for Quincy, but he does get to go for a walk. There's a message from Beth on the answering machine saying, oh, I guess you must still be working. We're going to bed. Talk to you tomorrow. Yeah, he's working. Yeah. We get a white shower curtain that's not closed all the way. I realize, I realize that you're filming, but it just really bothers me in movies when they don't close the shower curtains. It's like, yes, we get it. He's naked in the shower. Yeah. You're going to get water all over the floor. Yeah. Just find a way to rig the camera to where it looks like the shower curtain is closed. And I know it's a small space, but especially now with modern technology, you can make that happen. Yeah, now. They did talk about that in the interview, too, that Dan and Beth's apartment was the same apartment that this director used in another one of his movies, Nine and a Half Weeks, which mm. I've never seen. Never have I. Um, but apparently the apartment was really tiny, and so they'd have to, like, send the light people in to set up the lights. And then the, they'd have to leave, and the director could come in and with the camera people and look at stuff, and they could only have a few people in the apartment at one time. Apparently it was very small. Yeah, it's, it is really hard to shoot in bathrooms, let's be fair. And it's really expensive to build a bathroom set just so that you can, you know, get accuracy and curtain, you know, a prop, appropriate set dressing and curtains and stuff. We don't need it. Yeah, maybe they didn't need to show them in the shower. Yeah, maybe it was something for the ladies. <laughs> Seeing Michael Douglas's wet, sexy body. That was gross. I regret saying that. <laughs> I regret everything. Okay, so this is another... <laughs> I realize this isn't particularly important, but these things just stick out to me in movies. He calls Beth, and Beth is wearing this big blue denim coat. And he is wearing a blue denim shirt. And I think Beth's mom is also wearing a blue denim shirt. There's just a lot of blue denim going on in the next few minutes. Yeah. And so he's talking to her, and they haven't been able to see the house yet. There's been a problem, so they're going to stay another night to come back the following day. And also, Ellen wants a rabbit. Her grandpa has rabbits, and now she's obsessed and wants a rabbit. And when he finishes talking to his wife, he gets another phone call. It's Alex. And she's like, what happened? Where'd you go? I woke up and you weren't here. I don't like that. He's saying, well, you know, I have work to do. We did our thing was I don't know what you want and so she finally convinces him to come over and they go to the park with Quincy and they're having a great time running around and tackling each other and all kinds of fun park shenanigans Michael Douglas collapses and she's laughing and he doesn't get up and so she runs over to him and she's really panicked is you know Dan Dan get up you know whatever people say he he starts laughing and gets up and she says that's not funny my dad dropped dead of a heart attack in front of me when i was seven years old and you know he's immediately serious and like oh i'm so sorry and she's like ha ha just kidding which immediately kind of it's like okay well that i guess that was funny i see what you were doing he pretended that something happened but that's not really yeah, funny. Neither of them are funny. Yeah. So they go back to her place, and they're fixing dinner, which this is another interesting point to me. She's fixing him spaghetti, and his wife 
had told him that there was spaghetti sauce in the refrigerator if he got hungry. And they're listening to Madame Butterfly, and they both say that it's their favorite opera, and he tells her this really heartfelt story about how his dad took him to see it when he was five, which I don't know who takes a five-year-old to the opera. If you've taken your five-year-old to the opera, I'd be interested to hear how that went. Same, because I remember even just going to the movie, just going to church, I get just i was not there i was like please give me the coloring book but apparently he was enthralled with it and his dad told him that she was going to kill herself and he got really upset and he said it's one of the few times he could remember his dad being nice to him was when he was comforting him at madam butterfly Um, toxic toxic masculinity baby yeah boys don't cry (laughs) so he's got some own his own issues going on about things Mm -hmm. and so they're having dinner and talking about how long he's been married if he has any children he says something about that they're very happy and she said well if you're so happy why are you here with me i know that's what i wondered too alex then she says well why are all the interesting guys married and he said well maybe that's why they're interesting to you because you can't have them and she tells him that she'd like to see him again and he's like I'm married and she's like well I just you know I want to know where I stand and he says I think you're terrific but I'm married so they do it again of course as you do as you do yeah and he sees the time and he jumps up and is throwing on his clothes and he's like I gotta go she gets really upset and she said I don't think I like this and he asks her what and she says well you just you leave right after we make love every time and he's like well you I thought you understood how this worked she's like trying to rip his shirt to keep him from leaving and and then she literally kicks him and is like get out yes i know he she was just like get out and he was like do you i just wanted sex outside of my own marriage and she was like you're a dick and i am we in the audience are also like you are a dick which is an interesting setup because we come to learn through dramatic irony that Alex is going is going to is herself going to turn into a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Barky Thank you had Barky. a lot of thoughts on this. So many spoilers, so many. We see him gathering his stuff, getting ready to go, and she comes up to him and she says, "I'm sorry," and she's crying. They start making out. We see before he does the blood on his face, and he goes, "Your hands are wet," and he takes her hands and she slit her wrists effectively keeping him from leaving and obviously he can't call the doctor or take her to the hospital because then people would find out that he had an affair oh geez he better just try to save her life himself (sighs) so he stays with her until the next morning to make sure that she's okay and she's seems okay so he leaves before he leaves he promises that he'll call her sometime doesn't say when or anything he just says that he will or the context he doesn't set any boundaries like this is not okay you need help he does promise to make her go see a doctor yes but just i guess like an md again also stigma against uh mental health and this would have been like a really good moment to be like you need help we're gonna go to a hospital and we're gonna get you help because this is what we do but no he's so concerned about his wife 
finding out that he had an affair. God forbid he helps someone else that he fucked over. He does tell her at one point that she needs to see a shrink, but he does it out of anger, and it's said in a way that you're crazy, you need to see a shrink. Not, hey, I'm worried about you and I think you might need to talk to someone. Not even, you know, seeing a shrink to get you help, but it's just like, you need a shrink. Yeah. You crazy bat. Yeah, exactly. So he goes home, rolls around in the bed to make it look like he slept in it, feeds the spaghetti sauce to the dog, which poor Quincy probably had a really upset stomach. Animal neglect. Yeah, because he also hadn't been fed again or walked. Yeah, like, as a dog owner, he really upsets me. Like, I know worse happens to that rabbit later. But you know what? This is also a joke, but people eat rabbit. People eat rabbit. That's a food. Whereas this baby boy that is sitting next to me and being so cute, like, when I leave him alone for too long, I feel so bad. But no. Oh, so he gets to work. Really early, his secretary is like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm so far behind. Cancel all my appointments. I'm important. Da-da-da. I gotta go to court at two. I'm a lawyer. His family comes home. Again, I'm just gonna talk about how much I love Ellen. Ellen is the MVP of this movie, I think. Her and Beth, I think. The more I think about it, yeah, they did nothing to deserve any of this. And I think the little girl's real name is Ellen. Yeah, Ellen Hamilton Latson. And she, she doesn't act anymore, but she does have a podcast where she talks to child actors and former child actors about their experience. I would love to listen to this podcast because I'm so fascinated by child actors, especially when they make that career change into, you know, other aspects of the industry. Mara Wilson, who oh, played yeah. Matilda, she is such an intellectual person who's now a writer. But, you know, she, you know, she got her start in Mrs. Doubtfire and all these other great movies that we grew up with. Yeah, I'd love to listen to this podcast that she does. I remember when uh, we were watching it, something else that I was really interested in was that Ellen had a very androgynous look about her. Because at first, before they said her name, I didn't know if she was a girl or a boy. Yeah, her hair was cut really short, and, you know, I my hair was cut really short as well. And there's something about kids that I love so much where some of them you can't really tell if they're, you know, boys or girls. And it allows them to explore a little bit more in their identity as well. Uh, of course, my mother put me in dresses. Yeah, I love it. And her clothes, I'm pretty sure she's wearing, like, adult shirts. Yes. Through the whole thing. and Which is very popular now in 2019. Just the whole oversized shirt over shorts thing where you kind of look like you're only wearing a baggy t-shirt out in public. But it's okay because if you lift up your shirt, you are okay to walk around in public. It just looks right on her. Yes. And she was six. They heard about the casting and just, just took her to see. She stopped acting, I think, in 1997, so she she didn't do very many things. One of her claims to fame is she was in Christmas Vacation, and she was Ruby Sue. You know, one of her most famous lines is, Him's nervous, him's shitting bricks, and Chevy <laughs> Chase says, You shouldn't say that word, and she goes, Sorry, shitting rocks. <laughs> oh, her podcast is called Watched. It's a look behind the curtain of the child acting industry, delving deep into the realities of a childhood lived in front of the camera. That is going in my queue for sure. She's doing this magic trick, and she's just so cute. And what they said they were looking for was a kid who wasn't acting, who was comfortable with the adult actors. And she is. You totally believe that she could be their kid. Yeah. She's so cute, and she's worrying about how the 
it has room for rabbits. And he's like, oh no, not rabbits. And she's like, yes, rabbits. And oh, I just love her. Also, it's, you know, it's hard to shoot with kids, not necessarily because they're, they're needy or anything like dogs are, but because, you know, you have time restrictions with them and all these things. So it's also great to have adult actors who are comfortable with working with kids because I don't think, I know, I know that, um, in Michael Douglas's previous marriage, he had children and he was, he's just like, I'm a child. (laughs) I know what to do with this. People who aren't around kids, a lot of times don't know how to act around kids. I really don't know how to act around kids. There are actors who, when they're in a scene with a kid, they, they don't, they don't act like they're their child. I know that's not very well put, but it's more like they're just another actor and not actually their kid. Yeah, you can tell that there's a disconnect somewhere. Yeah. Um, especially when you're working with a child actor who is not, who hasn't been in front of the camera a lot. In the case that, in the case of Ellen, anyway, because if you're, if you don't know your surroundings and you're kind of acting naturally and you're acting like yourself, this is also. Uh, something in the improv community as well. I'm an improviser. So your goal is always to uh, meet your partner where they're at. Because if you're working with someone who's relatively new in the improv community, and if they're at a level three class while you've already graduated, you want to make sure that your partner looks fantastic and that they're making such interesting choices because they are. You never want to downplay their skill level because they're just as talented. They're just at at a different part of their journey than you are. Wow. Yeah, that's very true. And that would be the same with working with a lot of child actors Mm -hmm. because they haven't had as much experience and... I mean, unless you're Dakota Fanning and everything you do as a kid is fantastic, but because they haven't had that much life experience. So anyway, he does go to look at the house. They're going to have painting parties when they buy it. It's kind of all settled. They're Um, so white. I know. Who wants to come over and help you paint your house? Nobody. I don't even think that's a thing people do anymore because nobody wants to do that. I had some friends come over to help me paint one of my apartments once it was fun but it was also a hassle and i hated it so ever since then i'm like if ever i have my own place i'm just gonna hire painters and our party will just be us enjoying each other's company rather than doing work it was a different time although it does in the end it helps you save like a little bit of money you you never want your friends to resent you well and once they buy the house she's painting the ceiling you can't ask your friends to help you paint the ceiling no that is a nightmare they're gonna buy the house and when he gets back to the city alex is waiting for him at his office And she is wearing this black leather coat that I think has these giant shoulder pads in it. Like puffed sleeves. It was like a puffed sleeved leather jacket that did not, also didn't fit her. Floiling. Yeah, it's not, it was not a flattering jacket. It would not flatter anybody's body, especially hers, who has like this, she was a Broadway musical actress. Oh yeah. She has that frame of a dancer. And it's just, leather is also a very unforgiving material. So you never want all of it all over your body. And so she apologizes and thanks him for helping her through a time of crisis. It's all very civil and she seems like she's fine. And she says that she has two tickets to Madame Butterfly and asks if he'll go with her. Just says that he doesn't think it's a good idea. They hug and she says, I'll see you around sometime. And he just 
doesn't say anything. Again, not setting any kind of boundaries. It comes time for the opera and he doesn't go. And there's this scene which they were supposed to film. They were going to like stage the opera. They were going to have her sitting there and the seat beside her be empty. And it was going to be this really expensive scene. And the producer kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And so finally the scene that they came to film was just done over a lunch break. It's the scene where she's sitting there by herself just clicking the light on and off, on and off, listening to the opera. And I think it's a very powerful scene. It's a much better scene. And it is, it is more cost effective. The thing is, is that sometimes that scene can work where you're watching a stage thing and then you see the next scene, next seat next to you but it's also kind of a kind of like banging your audiences over the head with a message just like this is sad and upsetting and also the truth of it is that if you think you're gonna go on a date and you buy these tickets and that person tells you no you're less likely to go oh and so then she just calls and calls and calls and calls his office he is not patient anymore and he tells her that they shouldn't talk it's done then the, the next scene is him watching his wife getting ready to go, putting on her makeup and stuff, and then he's coming up and, oh, you're so beautiful, and kissing her neck and stuff, and the doorbell rings, interrupting this. And they're having a dinner party. Um, he's been invited to have lunch with one of the partners, and so they think he's probably going to be made a partner. The partner, by the way, was played by the guy who played Herman Munster, and that made me so happy. He was in it for like five seconds, but I was just like, Herman Munster! During this dinner party, Alex calls the house. And Beth answers. And of course, you know, she doesn't say anything, but he knows. He knows that that's who was on the phone. And so he goes to her house and she's in this white nightgown lingerie thing. So oh, back to more white. White. She says, well, if you won't take my calls, you leave me no choice but to call your house. You know, it's perfectly logical to her and he is of course flipping out it's a really powerful scene where she tells him you're scared of me strong women scare you i mean he is scared of her and so he agrees to meet her the next day and she says don't disappoint me at this meeting this is when he tells her that she needs to see a shrink and mm -hmm. she tells him that she's pregnant and he's like well how do you know that it's mine she said because i don't sleep around Oh, this is also when she says that she had a, a miscarriage the year before and she didn't think that she could get pregnant. Of course, you know, it might have been beneficial for him to find out about birth control before they did anything. I know. What is it with guys not wanting to wear condoms? It's a really simple solution. Or to say, are you on birth control? Yeah. But, I mean, somebody could lie if they wanted to so yeah yeah use a condom yeah it is that were you just so excited about fucking over the sink that you <laughs> forgot to think maybe i want to make sure i don't have a child with the person that isn't my wife because if you're going to meditate that far into the future then why not also go hmm i should probably get some rubbers from the convenience store new york I feel like they there would have been a lot of chances for it was that. also it was also the late 80s when I hate bringing this up but AIDS was you know kind of running rampant and it wasn't just affecting the LGBT community it was it could be transferred through sex yeah you want to be safe yeah people aren't responsible and so he tells her that he'll be with her pay for the abortion 
and she says that she wants to keep the child, that she's 36, this might be her last opportunity. And he's like, no, 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 no. He says, don't I get a say in this? Uh, yeah. To which I'm like, no, no, not really. And also, she's not asking him for anything. She's not asking for money. She's not asking him to leave his wife. She's just telling him that she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. And she said, you play fair with me, I'll play fair with you. And so what does he do? He breaks into her apartment to try to find out if she's sleeping with someone else, if maybe the kid isn't his, what's going on? He finds out from her scrapbook that her father actually did die of a heart attack. So she wasn't lying about that. And he calls her doctor to find out if she actually is pregnant. She gave him um, her doctor's business card. <laughs> and the doctor said congratulations to him when he called. So he's like, I don't know what she told him. And he's talking to his friend, the one that I can't remember the name of, because I guess he specializes in family law and Dan does not. So he remembers and he's like, how good is her case? And his friend's like, it's, it's not good for you. Yeah. Now he's worried about losing his family. That didn't occur to him quite so much before he slept with her. Uh. She's sitting on her bed eating Oreos, Doritos, and drinking white wine. And look, I know she's evil. I know she's like the villain and the evil character in here. But that is a scenario I am very familiar with. Although it is on white sheets and Doritos on white sheets isn't necessarily your best choice. Look, we all make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so she's dialing a number. Hang up. Dial the number. Hang up. Dial the number. And she asks the operator, what's up with this number? Well, it's been changed and the new number is unlisted. And she tries to convince the operator to give her the number. The operator won't. Uh, so she screams and hangs up the phone. And in our next scene, Dan comes home. And guess who's in the living room talking to his wife? Alex! And so he pretends that he doesn't know her. And she's like, I think we've met before. He's like, no, I don't think so. And she's like, oh yeah, at the party a few weeks ago. So this whole thing has just taken place over a few weeks. <sighs> it seems like so much longer, but it hasn't been. Oh my God, if she found out. Just over the course of a few weeks, like two to three weeks, right? So, yeah, I would think so. Yeah. In the summary of the movie, it states that, you know, she's faking her pregnancy. It's something that's conveyed in the synopsis, but it's not conveyed in the movie at all if she's faking or not. It's funny because I've seen this movie, I guess, three times now. The first time I thought she was faking the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. This last time, I didn't think that she was. But that's also a, that's like, a very short amount of time. Yeah, that's not really enough time. Yeah, that's like a really quick turnaround on finding out if you're pregnant. Yeah, they usually can't even tell. I think that's I think that's why people believe that she's faking it. But in a script in a script sense, you don't have the doctor say congratulations for no reason whatsoever. I don't think she could get the doctor in on this scheme or whatever in a comedy or whatever where she gives the number of her friend who pretends to be the doctor or something. Yeah. I don't get that feeling from this. Yeah, because any doctor's office, if Dan is going to believe it, you're gonna get the receptionist first. And then you're going to be transferred over to the doctor. So that would be an elaborate, a, like really elaborate scheme for her to set up. Yeah. It's, it's just a little scripting snafu, I think. Yeah. She's looking at their apartment. She's interested in buying it. 
because and she tells his wife that she's pregnant and you know she's looking to find a place to settle down before the baby comes beth says oh let me give you our number so that you can contact us directly so now she has their new unlisted number the look she gives to dan is again i know i'm not supposed to side with her but her acting it's magic oh she's so good also tells her the area that they're moving to mm-hmm. so it's the way little things slip out like that he goes to her apartment again to threaten her again she's wearing white and she says i'm not going to be ignored i want to be part of your life i love that line i'm not going to be ignored dan the female producer she said and granted she doesn't really have a way to know this but this movie has had a big cultural impact on things. She said that that was one of the first times that a female character explicitly said that to their love interest, that you can't ignore me. And she thought that that had an effect on how relationships started to change in the late 80s because women were like, no, no, you can't do this and then just forget about me. Yeah. Glenn Close also said that this was the scene that she felt the most vulnerable in in the entire movie because she was wearing like this lace teddy. Mm-hmm. And just, I guess, the place she had to go and some of the things she was saying to him, she said it was the hardest scene in the movie for her. Oh, I believe it. Even harder than the scene in the original ending where she slits her own throat. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. And so she says, if you can't fuck me, why don't you just hit me? I know you want to. And she's just kind of, she's pushing him and she says because i won't let you treat me like some slut you can fuck a few times and throw in the garbage i want respect he says oh you want respect and she's like yeah yeah you can do this i can do this too why do you why should you get respected not me and then she threatens to tell his wife at which point he says if you do that i'll kill you again i know she's the villain I know she's supposed to be the villain. She could have gone to the police multiple times and been like, this man broke into my apartment. This man threatened my life. And this is the proof that I have, including the baby that I'm currently carrying. Oh yeah, she could have made his life really difficult. (laughs) Even more so than she does. Yeah. So she does. She goes to the phone and she picks it up and she starts dialing and then she hangs it up. I honestly don't know why she doesn't tell his wife. I don't know either. I'm wondering what that is. I'm sure Glenn probably has an answer because when you're an actor, you have to come up with answers for lots of things. If I had to guess, if I were Alex, I think she wasn't thinking about herself so much as she was maybe thinking about his kid. Also, it was the 1980s. Even though I said she could have done all these things and even though she had proof, she probably would have been ignored anyway. Yeah, and she would have been the one looked down on. Yeah. For being promiscuous. So we get more white. We get a white rabbit. We get them painting the house white, including the ceiling. It's just... Guys. It's just everywhere. It's so much. He goes to the parking garage to get his car and the garage attendant isn't there. And you just kind of see her lurking up on this balcony. And he doesn't see her. And then she's like behind these posts and in between the cars and stuff. And she's thrown acid on his car. And it's just eating through the car. And of course he lies to his wife and says it's electrical and the car like blew up. And so he gets a rental car and goes home and she follows him. Now she knows where he lives. 
And before he left his office, his secretary handed him a little package. And in there was a cassette tape. And it says, play me from Alex. She's just kind of going through all of the emotions. She's talking to him about how she loves him. And then she's talking about how she hates him. And then she's talking about how he's scared of her and that he probably doesn't even like women. And it's just running the gambit. Yeah. So ever so now that we are talking about her motivation uh because we're like we i wonder why she didn't tell his wife now i know for sure why because the script person wanted to put this in (laughs) because can't have a story without conflict that's true on this tape she says you thought you'd get away with it but you can't i think you i feel you i taste you you thought you could walk into my life and turn it upside down without a thought for anyone but yourself and she's followed him to the house and sees him giving the rabbit to his daughter and ellen is so excited and they're just this picture perfect happy family And she just goes into the bushes and throws up. Oh, and so he goes upstairs to his den and is listening to some more of the tape. And it's after this that he finally decides to go to the police. But a thing about this as well, because I was like, well, why why don't you just go to the police? But at that time, too, it probably would have been one of those things like, well, you're a man, you know, can't you handle this woman like what's the big deal which is kind of what they do to yeah basically it's like you're gonna we can't do anything you're gonna have to talk to your wife he presents it as though it's a client that he's asking about this information for they totally oh yeah (laughs) which i love and they say well you have no proof so we can't really do anything you have to catch her in the act And they also say that any action they take could provoke her. Maybe she already got it out of her system. And he's like, I don't think so. Yeah, and so he leaves. And yeah, they say, it's your bed. He has to lie in it. Mm -hmm. So the next day, they're going to visit the grandparents. And Ellen is going to be playing a pilgrim in the school play. And she's rehearsing her lines. And it is just the sweetest little scene. She's so cute. But the important thing is that this got them out of the house. Because when they get home, it's this really, like, the tension is built. And it cuts between Beth walking into the house and seeing this boiling pot on the stove. And Ellen running towards the rabbit cage. And we find Mm -hmm. out the rabbit's name is Whitney. Mm. Back and forth, back and forth. And, of course, Whitney is dead, boiling in the pot. I didn't know until very recently that there is a term the bunny boiler yep that came from this movie apparently they somebody was saying they use it a lot like in the uk i don't think it's used so much here in the u.s yeah but not so much i've seen i've seen it on twitter a few times in regards to uh certain allegations that happened over the last few years bunny boiler is definitely a term i it means like a crazy woman or something like that it means it basically means a woman who is trying to destroy the life of someone else because she feels wronged okay basically uh or that's that's basically the context and yeah there is like a synonym of crazy in there again that was a term that i hadn't heard until i started researching this movie and i was Mm -hmm. like the scene is is very well done 
Uh, it's iconic, too. Yeah. yeah, I think it's one of the scenes that if you don't really know anything about this movie, you probably at least have seen that. Yeah. And so, of course, poor Ellen is so upset. Her mother is up there comforting her, wearing a shirt that almost exactly matches the wallpaper in Ellen's room. There's just some very interesting costume choices in this, and I just love it. And one thing that the makeup artist was talking about was that they started off with Glenn Close, because the very first time we see her is at a party, and so mm -hmm. she's more glamorous then. As it goes on, they use less and less makeup. They have her eyeliner smudged. She's pretty much not wearing any in the final scene. I gotta tell you, she kind of looks more and more beautiful after the party. I, God love those makeup people, but that, that makeup and hair from the very beginning did not do her any favors. Even still, she's just gorgeous. Yes. So he finally, finally tells Beth, like, it's taken this for him to tell her what happened. It's taken someone to kill their daughter's pet rabbit to be like, I guess I gotta explain some things. Yeah. Whoopsies. Whoopsie daisies. Because he hasn't called the police, and she wants to know why, so he tells me. And rightfully, she gets really upset. I'm so Team Beth, it's not even funny. She has a line where she says, what's the matter with you? And that was an improv line, it wasn't in the script. And she said that she thinks it's the most honest thing that Beth says in the entire movie. Ann Archer said that. That's, that's my... That's probably my favorite part of the movie is where she basically calls him out on his shit. She tells him to leave. I feel like my reaction would be like, okay, and get my stuff, but he's not. I just, I don't like him. No, like, I don't understand how anybody could have sided with Dan back in the 1980s and early 1990s. How? Well, and he says, the last thing I ever wanted to do was hurt you. Fuck you. Yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> you kind of should have thought of that. Before you slept with somebody else. And again, we don't know if this is the only time he's ever done it, or if he's done it a few times before. Oh, I'm so sad because I'm a dad and I'm not get and I'm not having sex enough with my wife, so I better go look for it elsewhere. Michael Douglas plays a lot of kind of bad husband parts. Yeah, he does. And I think maybe that's one reason that I like I don't dislike his acting, but he's just kind of one of those people that I'm just and I think maybe that's why. It has nothing to do with him as a person yeah. or anything. It's just like he's played so many of these in Perfect Murder and a few other things where he like tries to get his wife killed or he's yeah. really skeevy. And also, I've never seen it, but Basic Instinct is like another big one that he's in. Oh, yeah. Which is also another erotic thr thriller. And I'm like, guy, stop trying to get your dick wet with all these women. Do you see how magical this woman you're with is? Yeah, and that was something they said in the interview was any man would be very happy to be married to Beth because she was beautiful. She knows how to take care of herself. She cooks. She cleans. She paints. It's like she's amazing. Why would you be off doing this? But anyway, so he calls Alex and says, it's over. I've told Beth. And she said, no, you didn't. You're not brave enough. And so he hands the phone to Beth and Beth says, if you come near my family again, I'll kill you. 
And so he packs and he leaves. There's a sweet phone conversation between him and Ellen, which again, more kudos to this kid because in phone call scenes, you're not usually talking to somebody else. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe they did for her. She's just great. I know in some cases that they'll have the other actor off camera reading their lines. Uh, that's something that I actually really liked about, it's one of the few things I really liked about the last season of Sherlock, that phone call between Sherlock and Molly. Uh, they were both off camera for their respective sides. That's, that's the only part I liked of that season of Sherlock. It was the only good part. The next day, Beth goes to pick Ellen up from school, and Ellen's not there. Somebody else already picked her up. Ah, oh, the 80s, when you didn't have to submit a list of approved people and pictures of their driver's license and... I know, I know. I'm wondering when that started happening. But my mom was also a teacher for the school district. Everyone kind of knew who my mom was, and I think they all, because of my mom's schedule, she couldn't pick me up until everybody else was gone. Be like hanging out of the school, running down the empty hallways, all that stuff. Child safety! Go us! When did the milk carton thing start, start happening? It was around the 80s, wasn't it? I would think so. Alex has picked up Ellen and taken her to some pier amusement park thing that's kind of deserted. There's not very many people there, but Ellen seems fine with it. She's just cool. I wonder if it's Coney Island. Poor Beth is driving around crazy, trying to find her, no cell phones, and she ends up rear-ending this car and being sent to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And Alex, after their fun day, just drops Ellen off at the end of the driveway, and Ellen gives her a kiss on the cheek, and it's all good. Ellen doesn't suspect a thing. No, not at all. Something I remember from that part of the movie where they're at the carnival is that they go on a roller coaster and yes. doesn't seem like exuberant enjoyment you see people on roller coasters where they have their hands up in there and like ah Gwen Close is just sitting there with the coyest smile on her face also was Ellen really tall enough to ride that ride that's what I was wondering even as I grew taller roller coasters scared the shit out of me they still do I don't like heights yeah, I would not have been cool on that when I was sick. They're at the hospital. Dan goes to check on his wife. You know, he's by her bed. Lots of remorse. Then he goes back to Alex's apartment again. What, this is the third time that she knows about? Fourth, if you include the break-in? Oh my god, you know that she abducted your child. Call the police. He attacks her. I mean, he's throwing her up against the wall. Yeah. He gets her on the ground and starts strangling her. Mm -hmm. And finally, I guess he comes to his senses and lets her go. And she's up at the sink trying to swallow down some water. And she sees this big knife. So she grabs it, comes at him. He wrestles it away from her, thus getting his fingerprints on it. Which doesn't matter for the, mm -hmm. the ending the new that ending. ended up yeah. in the movie. But it does for the original ending. Oh, yeah, and she's in a white dress. Just more white. Uh, he sets the knife down, leaves, and finally goes to the police. So in the original ending, from there it went to a scene where he was in the yard with Beth and Ellen, and they were raking leaves, and the police come up and tell him she's dead, and that he admitted to going to her house, his fingerprints are on murder weapon, 
And he says, well, how do you know she didn't do it? And he says, well, most people don't slit their own throats. So he's arrested and taken away. And while Beth is upstairs trying to find a phone number for one of his lawyer friends, she sees the tape and she starts listening to it. And at the end, the part that we didn't hear earlier, Alex is saying, if you don't be with me, I'm going to do something. I don't know what, but it's going to be bad. I'm going to kill myself. So this is what's going to exonerate him. That's pretty much where the movie ends. This did not test well with audiences. Eight months after they finished filming, well, I mean, yeah, I guess at least because the movie was done, they were able to get everybody back. Glenn Close fought very hard against this. She said she fought them for two weeks because she didn't think this character would go and attack them, that she was a self-destructive character and that's how she would go out by taking her own life not by trying to kill other people she realized that it wasn't fair to everybody else who worked on the movie after she felt like she'd made her point she said okay i'll do it and so they actually had to build a set because they couldn't get back into the house that they had filmed in and also the bathroom wasn't big enough yep so they actually took like a five foot metal tank and then cut back bathtubs in half and kind of made this giant Frankenstein bathtub to do this drowning scene that's coming up Mm -hmm. and that she had to shoot it 50 or 60 times and that there was nothing to like keep water from going up her nose during it and they were like she was amazing and that every take was she was just spot on with her acting yeah she said it was very difficult yeah she could have died and then of course the costume designer was like you usually have a couple extra versions of the costume for things well when you're messing with water and blood you have to have at least a dozen of the same costume to change to redo tape the ending that we know yes happens when she goes to their house Beth is now home. She's going to take a bath. Everything's nice and steamy. Alex comes into the bathroom and she has the knife and she's cutting her leg. And Glenn Close said that she did that to show that Alex was self-destructive. She attacks Beth. Dan hears it. He runs upstairs, drowns her in the bathtub. Oh no, she's dead. No more bubbles. And all of a sudden she pops up. Beth's there in the doorway with a gun and shoots her. And now she's dead for real. Beth saved her family. Everything's good. The end. Yeah. It basically ends on a zoom-in shot of the family portrait of Dan, Beth, and Ellen. Dan and Beth hug, and so it looks like they're probably going to stay together. No, I can guarantee you they got a divorce after that. Oh, I would think so, too, because I would be like, "Uh uh-uh, you you did this, you brought this into our life. There was so much trauma. It's just like, how can you even sleep in the same bed? I'm, I'm sure after, like, tons of therapy that maybe they were on cordial terms, but after everything that happened i cannot imagine them still being together she abducted her child most women will not let a guy stick around that puts their kid in danger like Mm -hmm. that going back between the original ending with as opposed to the theatrical ending i've been thinking about this a lot and it's kind of like the actor's take versus the writer's take Mm -hmm. you know and also popular storytelling the movie is an adaptation of a foreign film 
I think, right? I think it was a British short film. It was yeah. only like 10 minutes. Obviously, when you're an actor, you kind of become very, even if they're not a safe character, if they're a dangerous character, you kind of be kind of protective of them. You become attached. To yeah. Them. When you have these beats where it's very clear that you want to cheer for Beth, Ellen, and to some extent Dan, because he's a part of that new nuclear family you want to see them safe happy you want to make it very clear that this person will not be a threat to them anymore and you kind of want to see retribution for the havoc that she wreaked the original ending was very very subtle in a way i know that it's hard to say that because i do agree that alex is more of a self-destructive character she's clearly going through a mental break but you have to make that stronger choice of her just like snapping after that violent tussle with dan to make it clear okay she's clearly the bad guy the bad guy needs to be stopped no matter what and i think that's why it makes sense for it to be beth who gets the final shot at alex because really beth is the you know She's the Samwise Gamgee of this movie. Well, and while I do really love the concept of the original ending, it did really slow down yeah. the movie. I don't think it would have had, people wouldn't have reacted to it the way that they did if it didn't have that big flashbang in Um, And that's, and that, this is really hard to talk about because we're talking about a character taking their own life. The situations around that is what, slows the movie down I think and I think I think that's what I wanted to clear up as I was talking about it because it's not Alex's original ending makes me very sad for her yes and sympathetic which audiences probably responded to but it was like everything around it that everything around it seemed kind of convoluted honestly if they had taken out the whole arrest I think it would have been better rather than having it be like he's arrested and now Beth's finding the tape and I think it would have been better if it was like a more ambiguous ending where you don't know if this if these two people are gonna stay together kind of make it Beth understood where Alex was coming from but then that completely changes the movie as well and the 80s people don't like that they and also current audiences don't like that too we want a very clear hero even if they are you know dark and maybe even an anti-hero but we need a very clear villain as well yes it makes us very upset when we don't have not necessarily black or white but this lighter shade of gray against this darker shade of gray right you can still very clearly see the difference yeah which is probably one of the reasons why the superhero movies do so well absolutely it's why disney movies do so well too i'm not saying anything bad against those because i have seen all of the marvel movies and enjoyed almost all of them absolutely so you know i'm not dissing them but that that is the formula mm -hmm. of it there's a good guy and a bad guy and even if the good guy has some bad guy tendencies or the bad guy has some good guy tendencies you still know which one is which yeah and it you know when you're an actor and you're as good as glenn close and you work on a character like alex you don't necessarily see that 
after a while because the villain is the hero of their own story. And also, I don't think this was an independent movie either. With independent movies, you're able to play with the shades of gray a little more easily, but with mainstream features is going to be in a wide release and you want people to come see your movie, you want those archetypes very clear so that people can understand, okay, this is the good guy, this is the bad guy, these are the innocent people we want to be okay. Uh, they did, Paramount ended up producing this and distributing it. They took it to every major studio twice and they got turned down and 26 directors turned it down. Nobody wanted to make this. The producers were very passionate about it and Michael Douglas, even with him attached to it, nobody wanted to make it. Yeah. And that was a time when he was a big star. It was difficult for them to get it made. I've been working on a little article and little article in my head that I want to pitch to other places, but we are very uncomfortable with women being evil. Or not even that we're very uncomfortable with women having justifiable reasons for doing horrible things. They either need to be completely evil or they need to be misunderstood. A la, um, the wicked model, Maleficent, Frozen. They can't be, they can't boil a they can't boil a bunny and have you go, Dan did her wrong. <laughs> While there are probably richer roles for women now than there ever has been, they still tend to fall into these categories. Like right now it's the badass. Every woman, every female character has to be badass. There's a really difficult thing with women just being bad. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily like, pure evil incarnate that's yeah. not what i'm talking about like but... people reveling in their evilness like ursula and maleficent it's just yeah. like i i put a curse on a kid la 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 dragon that was the one thing that i loved about maleficent yeah and the disney animated one that made me so mad about the live action maleficent is because she was so bad and then no now she's not actually that bad she has a good heart yeah no, no, she doesn't. What's I think it's interesting because in that article that was titled, Can Fatal Attraction Get Made Now? Again, we are still making those movies, but those lines are getting more and more clear because, again, you're either misunderstood and still a good character, or you are, you had like this is just a completely psychotic character who will murder you. Or you have the pure angel. And even with the badass women that we have, they fit in those camps as well. The way that male characters are, where they can be kind of scumbags, but you still like them. But Dan. You know they're a scumbag. Although we don't like Dan. But but there, there's, lots, there's lots of male characters like that. Absolutely. Women can't do that. I mean, they can, yeah, they but can. they're not allowed to. Yeah. Uh, again, this is why Alex is such an interesting character, because Glenn Close, like, went in on this. And, yeah, the story had to be changed, but she still stands out as a character who who does bad things. You can kind of justify them, and, and she still is punished at the end even though she has all these layers to her character with evil women it's you're you become a giant octopus woman with the crown on her head and then prince eric stabs you in the gut or people realize oh she was good all along and you're accepted by the kingdom it's kind of like we're the we're theater people medea not the tyler perry movies um <laughs> the original greek 
play where it's a jilted woman who basically decides to kill her own children to get revenge on her ex and she gets away with it. Yeah, she flies away on a dragon. Yeah, that's a very complicated character to write and also play, but it's something that, and you know, I get it. You want people to come see your movies and wide audiences aren't necessarily prepared for that sort of thing. You want, you know, your traditional legend, folk folklore, tell, Joseph Campbell hero's journey story where there's a call to action for this hero and they defeat the monster or the evil or whatever and then they go back home. What would you give this A through F grade? An A through F grade. This is this is a little tough because I there's there's a part of me that's thinking about it as an actor, there's a part of me thinking about it as a viewer, and then there's a part of me thinking about it as a writer. Well, um graded on those three areas. Yeah. Uh, as a writer, I'm gonna give it a a nice average C or even a C plus because it is it is a pretty standard archetypal story. It is, you know, written very well in terms of action, thriller, albeit relatively grounded, but it's there are some plot holes that are not explained in the way that, you know, 80, 80s movies aren't often. So as a viewer, you can tell that the grade is slowly going up. I give it a B because it's, it's enjoyable viewing. If I liked popcorn, I would call this a popcorn movie. So I'll call it a Reese's Pieces movie where you just like nervously eat throughout it because uh. it's not perfect cinema. It's still a very good movie, though. And then acting is like for sure an A. All of these actors are giving some amazing work with what they're given. It's so good. The more I think about it, I love my share, but Glenn Close probably should have won that Oscar because of the amount of work she put into it. I recently watched Moonstruck for the first time. Thinking back on that, I mean, Cher did give a really great performance, but yeah, Glenn Close was just so good in this. Yeah, this part is iconic. Cher herself is iconic, but this character is, I hate this word too, but it kind of penetrates the zeitgeist. I have a lot of similar feelings to you, so kind of averaging everything out, I think I'd give it a B. Yeah, it's a good B. There's not enough in it to date it badly enough that it doesn't hold up, mm -hmm. but yet it's not perfect either. Like you said, there are some things that would have been nice to maybe have a little bit more information on or um, different things, but the acting is so good. And I do like a lot of the design elements. Um, I know it might've seemed like I was harping on all the white and stuff, but to me, stark things like that well, it make also, you notice. Well, it also provides contrast, especially for the final scene where Alex gets shot and yeah. you see the contrast of red against her white gown. She's the rabbit, you guys! Ah! Insights, mind blown. It's also a great movie to talk about. Like, it's a great movie to watch with your friends and then ask them, what did you think? And then you get a really good conversation out of it. Yeah, it's definitely not one of those movies where people would be like, oh no, it's okay. You're gonna have something to say about it. Yeah. And we kind of need more movies like that, honestly. I think so, because there's so many times that I go see something and it's like, yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. I don't really... That, that's some of the Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I And again, I love I love those movies, but it's, it's sometimes you're just like, oh, it's pretty good. Yeah. There are enjoyable parts. <laughs> yeah, I like to see something that Midsummer that 
you come away and you're like, I have thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Apparently, I think uh, Black Widow, which is next year's Marvel movie, is going to be directed by an indie filmmaker who is also a woman. Ooh. And uh, I think the way they're pitching it to um, fans and future audiences, they're going to introduce some more complex stuff so i'm excited i'm excited to see where that goes because we were talking about this movie especially provides a lot of great characterization work for women i'd love to see that in a marvel movie because sometimes they can be relatively flat and i say that as someone who enjoys them here's the thing with marvel movies since we're gonna compare and contrast it to fatal attraction uh of all things i thought i would say today it wasn't that but where um fatal attraction kind of fails in store not fails but kind of slips in storytelling it really makes up for in characterization whereas with marvel movies they do so well in storytelling because you know all these movies have to connect but they kind of fall by the wayside with characterization so it's going to be interesting to see how Black Widow fares. And this movie was like directed and written by men and gave very interesting women characters. So who am I to say? Take things as you want, but men can write great female characters and they can direct great female characters. It, they just don't a lot of the time. Yeah, it's very true. Do you have a recommendation? You mean aside from Bridget Jones's diary? (laughs) 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 When I first saw part of this movie? Dangerous Liaisons, which is not necessarily a thriller to some extent, but it is another great piece of acting by Glenn Close. And she is in another position where she is playing a woman who is incredibly flawed but you also feel for her and it's it's kind of in a, one of those other erotic quote-unquote thrillers because everything's like interconnected but it's a drama and also John Malkovich is in it Michelle Pfeiffer is also giving a great performance in it it's a great movie yeah D- dangerous liaisons probably nice that's one that I haven't seen yet my recommendation is going to be the tv show damages she oh, is yeah, yeah. fantastic in that. It's more of a legal drama, murder, mystery. It's good. And she's very complex. Like, she's bad, but is she also a little bit good? But no, she's bad. People should just write movies like Glenn Close is going to be in them. Yes. <laughs> That's the solution. Just write your movies like you're going to get any Glenn Close from any decade of film and then cast an actress who is capable of playing that part. So there are a lot of them out there. Absolutely. But yes, write it as though Glenn Close is going to play it. Yes, because I'm tired of either fully good or fully evil people. I'm sick of it. If men can get Walter White, why can't we get like our own little female version of Walter White? Yeah. People hated Skylar so much. Which, actually, if you really think about it, was a great trick by Vince Gilligan, who is also an amazing writer. And he himself jumped off the cheering for Walt train around season two. He wrote Skylar as a normal person, trying, wanting to know where her husband was. I'm blanking on the actress's name. Anna Gunn. Anna Gunn, yeah. She's, she's fantastic. She said that she was really surprised by the amount of hate mail that she got for playing that part. And she's like, I'm just, it's just a 
part that I'm playing. Why are y'all being so mean? <laughs> if you are ever tempted to send something like that to an actress, think, would I send this to my sister or my mom? Or would I want this sent to me? Would I want this sent to me? If not, delete said email. Also, you can remember that those people don't actually exist. They're characters. Yeah. And the actors playing them are not those people. Also, eventually, those same people watched Walter White poison a child. That is true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking about this movie with me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, do you have anything coming up or anything that listeners can check out? Let's see. I, uh, I'm an artist, so I have an art Instagram at um, that you can follow at that Casey Ryan. That is T H A T K C R Y A N. And I also recently wrote an article because we were talking about romantic comedies earlier. I wrote an article for Women Write About Comics about Stranger Things 3 and how its late introduction to romantic banter and romantic comedy actually heightens awareness of the flawed characteristics of not only that formula but also the character flaws that they introduced in the first two seasons as well oh wow okay i'm gonna have to check that out and that's on the website women write about comics excellent well make sure you check out casey's art because it is fantastic no i i thoroughly enjoy looking at all of her stuff and will one day commission a piece from her oh yay so yeah check that out and all our info is at the end of the episode by the time this comes out i should be close to returning to the u.s from my trip um so yeah i will be talking to y'all soon thanks again casey thank you laura okay everybody say bye okay bye, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemmespodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.